wonderful to be a Christian, and it's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Thank you all for being here. Good to have everybody back. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get into our service together tonight. Lord, thank you for all that you did in our hearts uh, this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the special time of communion to remember all that you did for us, to make it possible for us to be Christians. And uh, Lord, I ask that uh, this service would be all you desire it to be. I pray, Lord, for the testimony time that the teens will share, Lord, that you might use their testimonies and decisions that they share with us to encourage us in our own relationships with God. And uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would bless these teenagers as they live for you, help them to keep their decisions. And uh, we pray, Lord, that this service would be all that you desire it to be in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, we're going to go ahead and uh, do our memory verse for the month of August. Does anybody have that ready to go tonight? Would like to give that a whirl. Oh, be careful adjusting hair because it looks like you're raising your hand. But Miss Stephanie did raise her hand. Okay, good. For in the uh, for in the Lord Jehovah is boom nailed it good very good yeah that last little bit is is the is the is the hard part so anybody else want to give it a whirl all right I know it's a little bit longer this this month than it was last month but um, there are five Sundays in this month so there you go give you an extra Sunday to memorize it all right well let's go ahead and say it together here. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Isaiah 26, 3-4. Amen. All right, well, a couple of quick announcements after the service tonight. Uh, we will be heading over, and everybody's welcome to stay and enjoy some uh, good food and fellowship. It's very nutritious. Okay, maybe not the most nutritious thing ever in the history of mankind, but it's going to be delicious. Uh, some cake out there and some punch and, uh, not, and, and just an opportunity to fellowship with one another and to kind of congratulate uh, Brother and Mrs. Rupel on their recent wedding. And so uh, please plan to stay. Everybody is welcome to enjoy that time together. Um, and then uh, I want to mention this Wednesday night, we'll be having our guest speaker. In fact, the next two Wednesday nights, we'll be having guest speakers. Uh, we'll have Brother Steve Osteen this coming Wednesday, and then missionary to New York City, uh, Brother John Canavan. Uh, he's a graduate of West Coast Baptist College. Uh, so there are four graduates uh, of West Coast Baptist College in the room. Well, four students slash graduates. Uh, of West Coast. So anyway, we are representing, and uh, Brother John will come and uh, share what the Lord is calling them to do there in New York and uh, present their ministry and preach for us that night. Looking forward to that. Um, then again, this week, uh, later in the week, we'll be having uh, some need for help uh, for moving. So uh, on Thursday and Saturday, both of those days, if you're available one or both, uh, please see this man right here and uh, let him know you're available, and uh, he'll kind of work out the details with you. That would be a great blessing. Two weeks from tonight, we'll have our church business meeting uh, to uh, vote on uh, replacing Brother Jed 
uh, as our church financial secretary, um, and uh, Brother Scott Bouvier is on the ballot for that, and he's the only one running. Uh, so vote for Scott. <laughs> no, but if um, we'll, we'll we'll vote on that just to kind of make that official, because um, we do need to do that. And then Fifth Sunday Fellowship, we've been talking about that. Uh, that'll be a fun time. The teens will uh, get to uh, serve that, and uh, church is providing uh, all the all the food for that. Okay, I think that's all the announcements I wanted to make. I think at this point, children. If there are any children that have a memory verse that would like to come up and quote that, go ahead and come on up at this time. And I'm going to let Miss Jesse be the treat giver outer person. Or, there we go. Uh, I don't have my microphone up here, but I do have this one that we can use. So. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's right. As it is written, there is no righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10. That's right. As it is written, there is no righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10. Good. Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. That's right. One day we all will. Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Okay, nailed it. Good job, guys. Great, great, great. Okay, well, at this time, um, I'm going to turn it over to Brother Blake. Um, about, what, three weeks ago now we went to camp? And uh, so I'll let him kind of talk about it a little bit, and uh, then we'll have the teens come up in just a moment. And uh, looking forward to hearing from you all. It does seem like it was forever ago, but uh, we had a lot of fun at camp. Um, we're going to show a quick video in just a second here, um, just of some of the fun, and then we'll do testimonies after. But uh, just a quick story. We did have a lot of fun. Um, one of the most things we had fun with was, especially Logan, he enjoyed the surfing. Well, we're going off, and, you know, I'm trying the surfing. No, Logan's doing the surfing. We had some of the Mason who really, really did well in the surfing. And uh, Luke comes up and he says, uh, I don't, I don't want to do it. I, I just, you know, and I was like, Luke, I promise you, you won't get hurt. It'll be okay. So he tries it. He falls the first time. Doesn't get hurt. It's water. We're all good. So he does it again and again. Doesn't get hurt. We're good. So Noah walks up and I say, Noah, buddy, listen, no big deal, man. It's water. You're not going to get hurt. Well, the poor guy, he's not here tonight and I'm picking on him still. Uh... <laughs> But the poor guy, he gets on the surfboard, and he never makes it off the platform. It just The surfboard takes off without him, and his shoulder goes straight down into the platform. And he was hurt pretty bad. And I was like, oh, I lied to you. Was hell you, you know? <laughs> oh, well, I guess you did get hurt. So he didn't try it again. But we had a lot of fun, a lot of great memories. Um, it was a lot of fun. So we're going to show that video, and then we'll move on to the testimony time. Thank you. 
so you all know, we were on the blue team, and we did win. So uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think part of it was they said our, our team said the most verses, and that's why we won. Um, I know Andrew and Logan both said all of Ephesians chapter 6. Okay, so when you come up here, I want you to quote it, okay? Just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but why don't you guys go ahead and come up here? Uh, you guys can just make your way behind me, all of you, and then we'll do some testimonies. Um, we had a lot of great preaching this week, though. And honestly, that is why we go to camp. We go to camp um, so that God can touch uh, these young people's hearts. And you know what? God touched my heart, too. Um, the message they probably remember the most is about the flight. You guys remember that? We talked about relationships and how, you know, young people, we like to take off on a flight, but we don't want to end it in marriage. It's like getting, getting on a flight, and, you know, you don't want to go to the destination, but you're going to get on the flight. And uh, that was a huge, I feel like that was a great message. Uh, he had messages about emotion. Um, and, you know, he just had a lot of great messages, but I'm going to let you guys tell him about it. Sound good? Okay, so we'll start on this side. Andrew, you get to go first. And then we'll let them tell you guys about what they learned. All right. So as you guys have heard, we went to camp. Okay. It was pretty all right. But um, I learned that we need to put on the whole armor of God so that we can be protected from the devil. I feel like what I got from camp was God was telling me I, didn't, I wasn't reading my Bible enough. And that instead of five minutes a day, I need to just keep be reading it more. So like 10 or 15 minutes a day. I think that's what God was telling me in camp. So I loved all of the sermons from camp, but especially the last one really spoke to me because about a month before camp, I really felt like I needed to be praying more about everything instead of just like, the emergencies, things that were big, and I needed to pray more about the little things and stuff like that. And that's what the last message was about. It was about sending me to go places. <laughs> that's what I got. Um, no, I did not steal this from Mason. Um, well, I wasn't really reading my Bible before, like, at all. So what I learned is that um, to read my Bible more and like pray more because I wasn't doing that like at all. Addie, go ahead. <laughs> um, the biggest thing I got was I think on the third evening service he said that God is not your like genie in a bottle. So like you can't just go to him like whenever you have a problem or whenever there's you're going through something. You just have to constantly praise him and worship him and just in everything you do, and you have to trust him in everything. You may not like it, but you have to just trust him that it's the right thing. And I feel like I just need to work on that more. But I feel like the Lord was speaking to me about uh, praying more um, and about the power of prayer. Prayer is... Um, when the Wednesday night prayer services here are probably the most important service because we pray, and without prayer, um, the the revivals in America would not have happened, and 
Um, without prayer, um, many of us wouldn't even be here. And so the Lord spoke to me about um, my prayer life and how I need to pray more and uh, how I need to pray more specifically and uh, just just to be and to grow more and also um, to spend my time for Him to, um, the Bible says that, uh, um, well, now I blanked, but um, to, to spend my time for Him, not waste it, oh, redeeming the time. Um, so that's what I, that's what the Lord was telling me at camp this year. So what the Lord spoke to me about this, um, well, a couple weeks ago at camp, was I was holding some grudges against mainly Seth, my brother. <laughs> he did some uh, not nice things when I was a kid. Yes, I am an adult now. And um, and I needed to, I, I've been reading my Bible most every day, but I wasn't really getting anything out of it. I was just, like, reading it and to check something off my list. So I learned that I needed to read my Bible and t take something out of it and do it during the day and not just read it and check something off my list. And another thing was I was not using my time for not bad things, but not so stuff that could benefit this world. And that's about it. So there was a lot of really great preaching while we were there, and God opened my eyes to a lot of things. But I think the most important thing was um, the fact that I went into camp the week with the complete wrong like perspective and attitude. I was carrying a lot of anger and resentment at the beginning, and I genuinely did not want to be there. Like, the first couple of days, I just wanted to go home the whole time, and I was miserable. But about Wednesday or so, I realized that it wasn't the camp that was the problem, and it wasn't the people around me that were the problem. It was me that was the problem, and then it was my attitude, and it was the um, really just anger that I had been carrying around for a long time about a lot of different things. So while we were there, I decided to rebuild my relationship with God because it really, for the last couple of years, hasn't been anything at all. So I've been trying to work on that, praying, reading my Bible, giving things to God that he should have been taking care of in the first place, and letting go of things that need to be let go that don't need to be held on to for so long because there's no point. It just hurts more. That makes sense. All right, well, I had a really great time at camp. I know Noah's not here, but I think I can speak for both of us when I say it was a great year to go out on. I mean, we had a, we had a blast. We had a lot bigger group this year, and just obviously that make, it's going to make it more fun. Uh, I was I was completely, as Blake said, I was completely addicted to the surfing thing. I mean, every chance I got, I was in there doing that. But uh, as far as what God spoke to me about this week, He really spoke to me about three main things. Number one was about Bible reading. Two was about prayer life, and three was about obedience. Number one is pretty much exactly what Luke said. It was just about, it wasn't even during a message. It was just, I was sitting there reading my Bible after I got up one morning, and I thought, what am I really getting out of this? Because normally, like Luke said, it's just part of like a morning routine. I get up, take a shower, brush my teeth, read my Bible. 
And it's like, God spoke to me and said, don't just read it. Do less reading, do more studying and memorizing and actually get something out of it. Take something you can apply to your life. Second was kind of goes hand in hand. It'd be more purposeful in my prayer time, not just praying after I read my Bible, praying before I eat or praying before uh, I go to bed, just because, I mean, that's just kind of when you pray and just that's what I think I'm supposed to do. But actually, when I have downtime in the day, say, you know what, I'm going to pray. I'm going to spend time with God and about specific things, not just kind of thanking him for general everyday things. But uh, the third was obedience and kind of my perspective on obedience. A lot of times when I hear God speaking in my life and I hear like kind of hear the Holy Spirit's conviction, it's it's about like it's I think of it as a bunch of rules that just like, hey, I can't do this. Hey, I can't do that. Don't do this. Don't do this. Rather than just letting myself be fully submitted to God and letting all the little things fall and fall and fall in their place. That's pretty much it. You guys can be seated. Um, I know the week, the week of camp, we gave you guys a piece of paper in your bulletin to be praying for the teens as they were there. And I hope you did. Um, I really think that God spoke to them. I'm very, very proud of them. Um, and I hope you were praying for them. But they need prayers now as well. They need prayers to keep the decisions they've made. Um, and they've come out and said what they decided. Part of that reason is for accountability. Um, but they need prayers now. So I hope you're continuing to pray for our young people. I'm very proud of them. Um, I think camp was a very good time for all of us. So I'm going to hand it over to Pastor. I'm going to leave that song. Oh, yeah, you're right. We have a song. Uh, 820, 826, I have decided to follow Jesus. Thank you, teenagers, for sharing those testimonies, and I'm very proud of you for getting up here and doing that. That's a hard thing to do, but uh, thank you for being willing to do that, and I'm proud of you for the decisions that you have made, and we will be praying for you in the days ahead as uh, I'm sure you're going to be tested, and tonight's message has a little bit to do with that, and so if you would take your Bible and turn to Daniel chapter number three, and uh, if you've been saved for any length of time, you're very familiar with this uh, portion of scripture, um, but I wanted to look at it tonight, fresh and anew, uh, especially in light of what we just heard from our teens, <clears throat> Daniel chapter number three, and uh, if you're able to stand, let's go ahead and stand and read uh, the first six verses together, 
I'll read out loud, you follow along silently, and then uh, we'll get into our uh, message tonight. Uh, and I have tried to keep that in mind uh, as I was preparing, uh, so we will uh, try to um, hasten through this message, but uh, I think that this will be a help, uh, especially to the teens, as uh, they, as we consider the decisions that they just got done sharing, and I'll go ahead and get that on again. Daniel chapter 3, we'll read the first six verses. Uh, we'll probably work through our way through all of the verses as we go through this. Um, particular chapter, but uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits, which, by the way, is about 90 feet tall and about nine feet wide. So it was a tall, I guess, skinny uh, statue. Um, so the breadth of six cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to Gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, captains, judges, treasurers, counselors, sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, uh, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace." And let's pray together uh, tonight. Lord, we do thank you for uh, what we've already um, enjoyed in, in this service. Lord, we thank you for our teenagers and Lord, for the great week at camp you gave them. Thank you most of all for how you spoke to their hearts and their uh, willingness to uh, make good decisions. And uh, Father, I do pray that you would uh, seal these decisions, help them to, Lord, keep them in the days ahead and the, the days of their life and Help them, Lord, to put you first. And, uh, and some talked about Bible reading. Some talked about prayer and just obedience to you and, and, and forgiving and all of those things. Lord, I pray that you would help them to keep those decisions um, in the days ahead. And I pray, Lord, you would help us as a church family to support them in prayer, to keep them accountable. Uh, but, Lord, also that you would help us to continue to make decisions on our own individually, uh, even if we didn't go to camp. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would even maybe help us to make decisions tonight uh, that will help us in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Well, in 2016, uh, prior to the beginning of the 49ers' third preseason game, a quarterback, their quarterback, Colin Kaepernick, was noticed sitting down during the playing of our national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner. And if you can go ahead and show that first uh, picture there. This was the very first time that someone had uh, not stood during the national anthem. And of course, this uh, made national news and uh, people immediately began to criticize him for what he did. Well, the following week and throughout the regular season, Kaepernick uh, not just sat down, but he kneeled during the anthem. 
He did this as a protest against racial injustice, police brutality, and systematic oppression in the country. And you can go to that next slide there. And uh, one of his teammates joined him uh, for most of those times. Since then, of course, uh, many have joined him and followed suit, especially since uh, what happened uh, in the last couple months here with uh, George Floyd died, uh, dying, uh, reigniting the Black Lives Matter and uh, that whole particular situation. Well, kneeling uh, for something other than to the Lord is nothing new. It's been a posture of worship for a long, long time. And, and in our text that we read this, this evening, uh, we see uh, a culture that is supposed to be bowing down and kneeling uh, before this golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had erected there in Babylon. Well, so he had this particular plan. Well, in verse number 7, let's go ahead and pick it up there. Um, well, let's pick it up in verse number 8, I'm sorry. Wherefore, at that time, certain uh, Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man shall, that shall hear the sound of all these instruments shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Well, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And so here uh, we are introduced to these uh, three men. In fact, that we were introduced to them in Daniel chapter number one. But, uh, but here, uh, once, uh, once everybody starts bowing down at the dedication of this particular golden image, uh, there are three who refused to stand, or refused to bow, I'm sorry. And uh, it, it made national news. Uh, everybody around uh, began to... Uh, Talk about these three who did not bow. Why didn't they bow? And, and I'm sure they had interviewers from all the different news networks come and say, Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, can you please explain to us why you didn't bow? Just like they did with Colin Kaepernick, because he did bow um, during our national anthem. Now, a few things I want to point out in this particular a very familiar story that all of us uh, know a lot of the details. I just want to point out a few things, especially to the teens who went to camp uh, a few weeks ago. First of all, these three young men, and, and of course uh, all of the young people who just got up here and spoke, uh, they made a decision. They made a decision. So first of all, I want us to see that they made a decision. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and many others did not grow up in Babylon. They were taken captive from Judah. Uh, when Nebuchadnezzar, during the reign of, uh, well, in, verse, in chapter 1, in verse uh, 1, says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. So uh, Daniel and these three young men grew up in Judah. And uh, before Jehoiakim was king, uh, Josiah was king, 
And uh, if you remember anything about Josiah's reign, he was a very godly king. He, he brought a great national revival. And during his reign, uh, the word of God was precious again. And the word of God was a priority again. And so I would imagine that these three, well, including Daniel, these four young men, grew up in a godly home where the word of God was emphasized and prioritized. And uh, I would imagine that their mom and dads taught them the word of God, especially the, the one part that uh, kind of gets applied here in Daniel chapter 3, where the Bible says, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. So at some point, Shadrach, Meshach, and again Abednego uh, learned about these principles and, and this particular thought here that you're not supposed to make a graven image and you're definitely not supposed to bow down to them. And you know what? Not only were they taught about this, but they actually applied it to their lives. They actually made a decision to obey the word of God. And so I imagine back in Judah, it was taught to them in, in maybe Sunday school, or maybe they went to camp and heard it, and they said, you know what? We're not going to bow down. If there's ever an instance where we're uh, asked to do that, we're not going to. So they made a decision, and, and it was a decision that uh, they would end up keeping. They actually made the decision to obey the word of God. You see, knowing the word of God only is not enough. A lot of Christians know a lot of the Bible. They're familiar with the word of God, but not all the Christians do the word of God. So James chapter 1 and verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You know that song that sometimes we sing in our children's ministry? The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the foolish man built his house upon the sand. You know, the difference between the two is not that, oh, people outside this, people outside in the world, they're, they're the foolish people. No, the, the, the common denominator between the foolish and the wise man in that particular song and in that particular passage of Scripture, they both have heard the Word of God. They both had known what the Bible says and the word of God said. But only one decided that they were going to do the word of God. Only one decided that they were going to obey the word of God. And that was the wise man. And the foolish man heard the word of God. He went to camp. He went to church. But he chose not to listen. He chose to uh, do his own thing. See, James 1.22, be doers of the word, not hearers only. See, these young men in Daniel chapter 3 had made a decision to not bow down to anything other than God. You know, as I was thinking about Daniel chapter 3 and the uh, golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had, had, had risen up. Look, we don't have, you know, a 90 foot golden image that uh, we're tempted and, and asked to bow down to in our culture. But I will tell you this, there are a lot of gods that we are bowing down to in our culture today. What are some? I've listed a few this, this evening. and The first one that 
I think kind of applies to this particular passage here is uh, we bow down and worship worldly music in our culture today. Even Christians do. Incidentally, this is what was the cue for everyone to bow down before the statue. It was, it, it was music that was supposed to cause people to bow down to this image. But I, I was a youth pastor for 15 and a half years in California. And, uh, and I was a teenager too, believe it or not. Um, but uh, I remember the, the, the pull of music in the life of a teenager. In my own life and in the lives of the teenagers that I ministered to. And even in our own home. I know that music is a very strong pull. And teenagers all over the world and all over our country are bowing down to musicians today, such as Taylor Swift and Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande, just to name a few. And, and we're, 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 we're so in, 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 enraptured with these particular artists and, and many others. And I understand, because when I was a teenager, I started down the road to, world, to worldly music, too. And uh, back in my day, I was a senior in high school, and uh, my friends were all listening to uh, rock music and alternative music, and uh, they kind of got me turned on to that, too. And so I started wanting to get some music of my own, and uh, I don't know where I got it, but I got a, uh, a thing in the mail for a cassette of the month club. You teenagers don't know what cassettes are, but they're plastic things that you have to use a pencil to fix sometimes. Uh, remember those? And so I got, I got involved in this cassette of the month club, and then uh, you basically, you know, to, to get started, you get like six or seven cassettes for one penny, so long as you buy it for the regular price the following months. And I was like, what a deal, let's do that. So I had just joined that, I signed up for it, and I got my, I couldn't wait to get all my new music in and then to play it on my little boom box in my room. I know, I'm old. And then I remember it was that same time in my life that I had just started going to an independent Baptist church. And I remember uh, listening, uh, sitting there, and, and it was... Some, for some weird reason, every single message that was being preached, the preacher talked about music. I mean, it was like Mother's Day, and he would find a way to put music into his message. And, and it wasn't him, it was the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit knew there was a young man sitting there who needed to get rid of rock music in his life. But I had just signed up for this cassette of the month club. I can't get rid of it now. This is, I'm into it now. And I remember it was probably, what, the fifth or sixth sermon that music came up. And I was like, all right, Lord, I'm done. I'm going to stop fighting you on this. My best friend and I, uh, he had uh, a lot more music than I did in his room. Uh, but what we decided to do after church was, I said, you know what, I think I need to get rid of my music. I think, I think the Lord's trying to tell me that I need to get rid of this influence in my life. And so uh, we got a, 
We, we talked about, okay, back in those days, uh, I think there was a music store called Warehouse. Does anybody remember that? Anybody? Okay. Um, there was one in our town, and, and, and you could sell your previously listened to cassettes and get a little bit of money to put towards some new music. And I thought, well, maybe I could do that, you know. But then I thought, you know, the Lord kind of said, well, you're putting that garbage back out into circulation. Do you really want to do that? No, I don't. As I looked at my cassettes, and we had just started, CDs were just kind of starting in those days. And I had gotten a few of the CDs too, and I was like, man, that's, this represents kind of a lot of money worth of music. And you're asking me to get rid of it all? The Lord said, yeah. So we got uh, a black trash bag. And I went into my room and I opened my drawer that had all my cassettes and my CDs. And I got them all in there and I put them in this black trash bag. And I went out to the backyard where our trash can was and I put it in there. I closed the lid and I remember thinking, that actually feels pretty good to get rid of that. Um, My friend did the same thing except for he kept one CD. He said, I'm not going to give that one up. Well, I will tell you this, um, it's not that I've never struggled with music since, but that was a big moment of victory in my particular Christian life. I haven't struggled with it near like I did before that, and I'm very thankful that I had that moment. Well, my friend, he struggled with music even still because he left that foot in the door. Uh, He left that one CD in his uh, drawer that he would pull out, and then it turned into two and three, and before long, his music collection was full again of the wrong type of music. John Lennon, most of you who uh, are a little bit older uh, know who John Lennon is. Some of you young people know who John Lennon is. Here's what he had to say about rock music. Rock music has got the same message as before. It is anti-religious, anti nationalistic and anti-morality. Really, I will say this, no Christian who is walking with the Lord should be listening to rock music, period. I don't need to blast it and yell it. I just need to tell you the truth. Um, Time Magazine, and this is a 1969 article from Time Magazine regarding rock music. They said this, In a sense, all rock is revolutionary. By its very beat and sound, it has always implicitly rejected restraints and has celebrated freedom and sexuality. Rock drummer King Coffee said this, The whole idea of rock and roll is to offend your parents. That's completely contradictory to the Word of God. The Word of God tells us to obey our parents, not to rebel against them. So why then would we listen to this on purpose? Uh, We're bowing down to the idol of worldly music. And teens, can I encourage you to stop bowing down to the world's music, please? For the Lord's sake. What else do we bow down? Well, we bow down and worship sports. 
I wish I didn't have to put this one in here. And as I was thinking about that this week, and I was like, man, this is a convicting thought. How much time do we give to sports? Some of us give a lot of time to watching sports. And we can't sit through a 45-minute message at church without checking our watch 37 times. We get excited when the ball game goes into overtime because, oh, we're getting our money's worth, or, oh, this is exciting. We're bowing down and worshiping sports in our culture today. We spend our time, our energy, uh, we even spend a lot of money, and I have been guilty. Many even shuttle their children all over creation on the Lord's Day for games and tournaments, indicating to their children that sports are more important than God Himself. Oh, well, we don't, we're not saying that. Well, your actions are saying that. We bow down and worship sports. What else do we bow down to? We bow down and worship entertainment. We're looking for the next adrenaline-filled movie. The next dramatic, emotional, and romantic series to draw our hearts away from the Lord. Uh, to consume our thoughts and affection. To consume our time and even our money. There's a pastor of yesteryear, Len Leonard Ravenhill, and he said this. Entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. Let me say that again. Entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. We just talked about joy this morning, didn't we? Entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. The more joy you have in the Lord, the less entertainment you need. Oh, I just need all the subscriptions to all the video services out there. Oh, really? Do you? Remember, this is the rejoicing of our hearts. We talked about that this morning. Why are we looking elsewhere? Why are we looking to the world to fulfill what God says will completely satisfy us? We bow down and worship entertainment. Some bow down to money. Whatever it takes to make money. If it means missing church, so be it. And we bow down to money. We bow down to convenience and comfort. Uh, please don't tell me what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing. And we are worshiping the God of comfort. I need to be comfortable. Where does that, where, show me a verse of the Bible that says we're to be comfortable. We're to be convenienced. There is no verse that says that. We also bow down to the God of friends and even family. Now I'm all for my friends and I'm all for my family. I love my children, I love my wife, but... But even our family can become an idol in our lives if we're not careful. Too many uh, Christians do that. So these young men, they made a decision that they were not going to bow down before any other God. Well, let's talk about secondly, not only were they, did they make a decision, they were dedicated in their decision. Let's pick it up in verse number 13. Once Nebuchadnezzar found out about these three who refused to bow, verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury, he was not a happy camper, in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said to them, Is it true, 
O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you not serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? And then he said, Now if ye be ready at what time ye hear the sound of all these instruments, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. He said, I'm going to give you another chance. But if you worship not, you should be cast in the same hour in the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And so they were dedicated. Now, they were tested on the decision that they had made. And teenagers, you just got up and explained some of the decisions that you made because of camp. But guess what? You were going to be tested on your decisions just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were tested on their decision. The question is, how dedicated are you? How serious are you in keeping these decisions because you will be tested? It's just a matter of time if you haven't already been tested. In their dedication, we see a couple things here. They showed great confidence. Their confidence is seen in verses 16 and 17. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm not sure which one it was that said this. I'm not sure which one was the spokesman, but they said, uh, and they answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar. Now, let me just back up and just say this. Nebuchadnezzar was the great king of Babylon. This was a big deal. He was the man. And he wasn't happy. How would they react? How would they answer him? Well, in verse 16, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. He said, we, we know exactly what we're going to say in this. And verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. So they had great confidence in their God to deliver them. They faced the situation with faith in God to deliver them instead of fear. Instead of going, oh no, what are we going to do? They had confidence in their God to deliver them. They knew he was and is able to deliver. They knew that nothing was too difficult difficult for God and that God specializes in the impossible, in the miracle. He's in the miracle working business. Do you know that? Do you know that God is able to do the impossible? They did, and they showed tremendous confidence in their God as they faced this type of temptation or trial. They were dedicated in their confidence, and they also showed tremendous commitment. In verse number 18, and I like this, but if not, oh, they believe that God would, but even if he didn't, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. doesn't matter what's going to happen. doesn't matter the consequences. We're going to keep the decisions that we made. What, what God worked in our lives way back in Judah, we're going to keep here in Babylon. It doesn't matter if everyone else bows, we're not going to. They showed great commitment. Teenagers, it's going to require some commitment on your part to keep the decisions that you made. It doesn't matter what everybody else does. Look, everybody else in the youth group may fail in their decision, but don't you. You decide to remain committed to the decision that you made. It doesn't matter if everyone else is bowing before all of these other idols. 
Don't you be bowing. They were dedicated. And their dedication, they showed tremendous confidence in their Lord. And God will never fail us. He will never let us down. And they showed great commitment. It didn't matter even if God didn't uh, deliver them out of this fiery furnace. It didn't matter. They still weren't going to bow. I hope that as a result of your decision, you know, good things come your way. Look, if, if, if good things don't come your way because of keeping the decision, I hope you'll still keep those decisions. I hope that you'll still have commitment to God regardless of the outcome, that you're going to love Him first and foremost. So they made a decision and they were also dedicated, but then, praise the Lord, most of us know this, they were delivered. Let's pick it up in verse number 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar. Now, after hearing this answer from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he was already, in verse number 13, uh, in his rage and fury. But now, in verse number 19, it just ramped it up, didn't it? Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. And the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, he was already upset, but now it was like a whole different caliber, a whole different level of anger and rage. His visage was changed against these guys. Therefore, he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. So it was already hot. And then he said, let's ramp it up, turn it up seven times. What if the pressure in your life were ramped up seven times? Then would you bow? I wonder if he, if he was thinking, I'm going to ramp it up, and then maybe they go, okay, okay, just kidding. We're going to bow. We'll bow. Let's play the music again. We'll, we'll Give us another opportunity. We'll bow. But that didn't happen. They never spoke up about any of that. They never said, give me another chance. Uh, there may be, the devil may turn up the pressure in your life seven different times. Will you bow when the pressure gets intense? Because it may. Let's keep reading here. In verse number uh, 20, and he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army. So he didn't just get just three random guys to get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and put them in the a furnace? No, he, he was like, I need my most mighty men that were in my army. I, I, I need those guys, and I, I need them to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Well, verse 21, then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen and their hats and their other garments, and were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because of the king's commandment was urgent, like they didn't have a staff meeting about, okay, if we turn it up seven times, what's the distance that we need to be to be protected? They didn't have time to think about it. It was too urgent. And so because it was just this heat of the moment, no pun intended, okay, maybe a little, uh, a decision, then here's what happened. The furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men. These weren't just wimpy men's e men either. These were the most mighty men in his army. He slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. 
So in their deliverance, and they were delivered, uh, we see, first of all, they were protected. They were protected. So as these men are in the uh, fiery furnace, then we pick it up in verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astoined or astonished and rose up in the haste and, and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. Well, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Amen. The Lord was walking in that furnace with them, wasn't he? So they were protected. And who was the one protecting them? God was the one protecting them. And as you uh, keep your decisions, God will be the one that will protect us. And protect you as you keep your decisions in the days ahead. Well, verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God. Well, wasn't this the guy that was full of fury? Quite a big difference now in verse 26. And he calls them, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. And so these three men came forth in the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, captains, kings, counselors, being gathered together, saw these men upon whom, whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, not even like an eyebrow singed. Right? If most of us have gone and roasted marshmallows and like the hair on our knuckles begins to singe because we get our little too close to the fire. That didn't happen at all to them. And they were in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace so hot that it was seven times hotter than original. And not a hair of their head singed. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. They didn't even smell like they'd been in a campfire. Wow. Well, verse 28, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. And that's the key there. As you guys have the decisions that you've made, please continue to trust in him. And delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the god Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there's no other God that can deliver after this sort. Amen. Powerful story. So they were protected, but, but I want us to see, secondly here under this, they were also promoted. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was so angry with them in verse 13, then that anger got turned up to an intense degree in verse 19. Now all of a sudden, he's like impressed with them. But I think even more importantly, he's impressed with the God that delivered them. And really, isn't that the whole point of us making decisions, is to make God look good? Not to make ourselves look all spiritual and how wonderful we are. No, no, no. It's to point others to Christ. And that's what ended up happening. And then they were promoted in verse number 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Yes, King Nebuchadnezzar promoted them, but 
I think another king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it was the Lord. The Lord ultimately promoted them, didn't he? I mean, think about it this. Uh, we, we've mentioned the names Meshach, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego several different times as we read through this chapter. Do you realize that their names are listed 13 times in this chapter alone? I can't help but think it, that the God, the Holy Spirit, as he inspired this chapter, wanted to say their names over and over again to show how proud he was of them for their decision and for the fact that they were dedicated to keep their decision in the midst of tremendous pressure. God was promoting them. God will promote you if you keep your decision and you remain dedicated to him. While most everyone else bowed, thank God there were three who didn't take a knee. Recently, as professional sports have commenced after a long hiatus due to COVID-19, most of the players in basketball and baseball, and sadly to me, a few hockey players, kind of halfway expected basketball and baseball, but hockey, come on. And yet even two from my own favorite team took a knee in recent days as the national anthem began to play and all as a protest for Black Lives Matter. But not everybody had knelt. A little over two weeks ago, San Francisco Giants pitcher Sam Coonrod was the only player to stand during a moment honoring the Black Lives Matter movement ahead of the season opener against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Telling reporters after the game that as a Christian, he can't kneel before anything besides God. My new favorite baseball player. Then a few days later, Orlando Magic forward Jonathan Isaac became the first NBA player to stand for the national anthem. I mean, to me, as an American, this, this is mind-boggling that only one stood for the national anthem. I mean, that just is like, it hurts my brain to think about it. But uh, he became the first NBA player to stand for the national anthem this season as a league resumed play after a 20-week hiatus due to the coronavirus pandemic. The television broadcast showed Isaac, who is black, standing as players and coaches from both teams, as well as referees, took a, nade, took a knee during the playing of the national anthem. The 22-year-old forward was also the only player not seen or seen not wearing a Black Lives Matters shirt. When asked after the game why he refused to bow, he then proceeded to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you haven't seen that interview, I would encourage you to look it up. Um, Jonathan Isaac, my new favorite basketball player. <laughs> Maybe after he's done playing basketball, he can go be a preacher. Here are two athletes who are able to stand up for Jesus Christ in the midst of tremendous pressure. And, and to me, it doesn't make any sense, but uh, I'm not in those locker rooms. I'm not among my fellow team teammates. And uh, when they're all talking about, hey, we need to do this all together. Uh, we need to stand in solidarity or, or kneel in solidarity. I'm not in, the, I'm not in those locker rooms, so I, I don't know how difficult it is and the pressure that these men faced, but... I'm thankful that there were two Christians who were able to say, I'm not going to bow to the God of Black Lives Matter. 
I'm only going to bow to Jesus Christ. And by the way, one day everybody will bow, everybody will take a knee, and that will be only to the Lord Jesus Christ one day. But until then, let's refuse to bow to the gods of this world. Let's refuse to bow to the God of worldly music, the God of sports even, making sure that that doesn't become an idol in our lives or entertainment or money or any of the other things that uh, maybe we mentioned or didn't mention. Brothers and sisters, the testing will come if it hasn't already in your life. What will we do when the pressure gets too much? Will you then cave? Will you then uh, bow? Or will you continue to stand up? Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. To lift high His royal banner because it must not suffer loss. But God is looking for some modern day Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednegoes. Will you be one? Some of you get to go to public school. What a beautiful opportunity to be a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And just everybody else is doing it doesn't mean you have to. I went to a public school. I know what goes on in a public school. I've walked into many a bathroom where this big cloud of marijuana smoke comes billowing out as I'm walking in. I know what it's like. I know the music that gets played in, in public schools. I know the conversations that take place in locker rooms. I know all of that. That doesn't mean that I need to cave to it and bow to it. Will you stand up for Jesus? Or will you bow to the gods of this world just like everybody else? So there were three that stood. Were there others there that were taken captive from Judah? That bowed? Yeah, unfortunately, I believe there were a lot. Because they didn't want to get thrown into a fiery furnace. I mean, come on, God will understand, right? There were three who said, we're not, we're not bowing for anything. Doesn't matter what you do to us, we're not going to bow. Kill us if you want. Threaten us with heaven. Go for it. That was their attitude. I hope that your attitude is a refusal to bow to the gods of this world. There's a song in our hymn book, if you want to go ahead and take it. Uh, Miss Pat and Miss uh, Robin, maybe you can come and uh, play this if it's not too difficult. We didn't, I didn't tell you and warn you. But 619, stand up, stand up for Jesus. 618 or 619, there's two versions of it. You tell me which one. 6, 619, we like better. Do you know this song, Brother Blake? Would you mind coming it up and uh, leading us in this song? We'll sing all four verses of this uh, tonight, but we can't be seated as we sing it. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Uh, I'll have you come on up, brother, and lead this song, and then afterwards we'll have a word of prayer tonight. Stand up for Jesus.
Christ is Lord indeed. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The trumpet call obey. Forth to the mighty conflict in this his glorious day. Strife will not.